0: Today's reading is John chapter 6, verse 35 and 41 to 51. It can be found on page 984 of the Bibles, next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At this time, At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which people may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Uh,
1: before we look into this passage, will you pray with me? Our God of grace, we come into this space, and the journeys that we walk and that have been walking take us all kinds of different places, and so for some of us, we sit here um, discombobulated by recent events. Some of us come angry at someone. Some of us come celebrating something that 's been going well or that happened. Some of us come um, with a renewed search for, for truth or for faith. Others of us come, we feel like we're one step away from, from walking out the door and not coming back into a church. And from all these different places, the you know, the pain or the comfort, the joy or the grief, we sit here more of a mess than we want anyone to know. We'd love to just point our fingers at the world around us and say, this terrible world, it's, all, it's the fault of everything around me. And the world is a mess, but the truth is, so are our hearts and so are our lives. And whether we're very in touch with that or whether we've sort of been glossing over that and not, not experiencing how broken we are, that's the truth. And this story of your grace through Jesus Christ keeps telling us over and over again if we listen to it that you move towards broken people and it may not be the way we expect but in one way or another your offer continues to be to come into the lives of those whose lives are messy and failed and fragmented and to start putting us back together as a part of putting your own world back together and you have begun that work through the resurrection of your son Jesus new creation new body as the start and as the first fruit of the newness that you are making, even in some of us here today, so we pray that you would teach us through that kind of grace for sinners, grace for broken people, and teach us about that now in this time. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. John chapter six: Jesus talking about "I am the bread." Have you ever uh, do you have well, let me just say this, if you're a movie buff and you like... Movies that involve a lot of action, and maybe maybe you like movies with battles in them, like The Lord of the Rings or Braveheart, or uh, I don't know, Last of the Mohicans, or name your movie where you know they show all these people battling and fighting, and there's thousands and thousands of people. If you're kind of a realist like me, um, and have less of that artist side of you, you know, you might be just watching this movie and going there's thousands of people and they seem to go two or three days straight with all this expending all this energy and all this action don't they ever stop to eat <laughs> you know how are how are they doing it you know how are all those 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 armies of men and hobbits you know how are they beating the orcs and trolls like don't they ever stop to, who's supplying them with food you know and of course you know that's that's just good storytelling right uh, Skip over the mundane parts. Um, I, but I, I have been reading a biography of Winston Churchill, so getting into World War II, and you realize the the strategic nature of, of you know, getting your army. You might send twenty thousand people somewhere on the globe, but you know now you've got to supply them, and now you've got to feed them, and so those the importance of supply routes and supply lines. To feed you know these people who are expending all this energy. But our storytelling today, you know, skips over that part. It's isn't that kind of the boring mundane part. The, the fun about the story with Jesus is that what has just happened is that there are these 5,000 people that are following Jesus around day and night and there's suddenly this dilemma of how to feed them. And it's not skipped over. It's actually, you know, to my delight, my realist mind says, finally someone's, you know, showing us how this really works. Except then you're kind of surprised because what happens is Jesus gets, um, and, and of course I, I grew up going to church and hearing these stories as a child. And so you can imagine the, the the awe and the wonder of hearing this story as a as a four, five, six, seven year old that they just that a child came forward with it's kind of like mommy had packed a lunch and there's five loaves and two fishes, and so Jesus takes this bread and suddenly has everyone sit down and it feeds five thousand people somehow, and they have twelve baskets of bread left over. So you know this is. This is that story has just happened. The mundane of just how are we going to get these people fed is it's not skipped over. it's talked about, but then Jesus goes deeper and he moves on to talk right after that about what we just read, what, what Karen just read for us in John chapter six, where Jesus now takes it the next step and says, "And of course, this is why that story is told, because now we're going to rise up from the mundane of just, okay, how do people get fed to something very, very big and very important um, the feeding of our spiritual hunger. Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Never be hungry. And so we're drawn up, and you know we've got this table over here. There's a loaf of bread, and there's a cup, and we say, this is the body and blood of Christ. And our minds are, are taken from the mundane of just... Eating, you know, we eat together, you know, we eat, maybe we eat alone, I don't know, but you, you know, we often eat together and there's three times a day usually, and some of us go a little beyond that, right? We like to have those, that hobbit schedule of, what is it, five meals or seven meals in a day, but you know, the point is we do this regularly, so Jesus is pointing at something that has, you know, you could ideally meditate on this at least three times a day, every time you eat, your mind is going, okay, this, but then this bigger thing. And that's what's happening. And it it, it does seem a little strange and in fact as the chapters will move on, we won't talk about it today, this teaching does get a little bit difficult for some of Jesus' followers because it is so odd and out there. But we should be prepped for it, especially those who Jesus was talking to who knew about a lot of the Old Testament, you know, the Jewish scriptures. And you can find this place in um, Psalm 63 which says it well. uh, where it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then this great line in, in verse 5 of, chapter, of Psalm 63, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And our minds... So we've already, in a sense, if you've kind of followed this, this ancient you know, story that's going through thousands of years, you've already come across this idea of drawing your mind from this mundane of this, these items up to something much bigger and more important. And so, in a sense, today, that's the interplay that you're asked to draw into and you're asked to do it not just now, but regularly in life. The interplay between acknowledging a deeper spiritual hunger, a soul hunger, and then transitioning... Pivoting and saying, okay, I'm seeing it and now I'm going to turn to trying to see how I might be fed by God. How Jesus, the bread of life, might feed that deeper hunger. That's the interplay we're trying to figure out. And it often causes us just to ask ourselves, are you examining your sources of soul satisfaction? Um, I shared this story with our dive group recently. I tried to fast and I, this was maybe a month and a half ago and I tried to go back to doing it a way I had done it before where I started um, the day before my main fast day is actually when I started. So what I did is basically the logistics are I, I had lunch one day and then I didn't eat until uh, dinner the next day some of you maybe saw my email about it'd be cool if if some of you didn't eat um, today and listen to this sermon with a growling stomach, okay, because it'll just bring it alive. Maybe some of you are in that camp and you're like me, your stomach's growling right now. So I had that, exp- so I entered into that experience. Here's what happened. So we get to dinner time, dinner with a fam- family of six and there's chaos and there's food flying everywhere and, um, and, and I, that was okay, it was kind of like, you know, I'm not eating, daddy's not eating, you know, it was clear. And that was, that was okay to get through that. I was definitely super, super hungry. But then it was after, it was after the dinner um, that we get into bedtime stuff and preparing lunches. It was, so it was in the tail end of the school year. And we get into make, I get into making lunches. I'm making lunches on the island in the kitchen. I got all this food out and I'm making it. And suddenly I realize, um, you know, hey, I just popped that piece of cheese into my mouth. I mean, because there's all these foods and crumbs, and I'm slicing things, and, it's all, and, I, and I did it without even thinking. And so I was like, oh, come on, no, I'm, I'm fasting, cut it out. Um, my heart was in the right place, but it was just so easy. And then, you know, a pretzel kind of drops and rolls off, and I, and I grab that, pop it in my mouth. I am like, hey, what? wait a second. And that little dilemma of, do I spit this out now that I'm chewing, or do I swallow it? What, how does this work? And what I ended up doing was putting some signs and post-its around where I was working that said, you are not eating. Stop eating, dummy. Um, I really did. My, my wife came out later and was like, what are, what are these signs? Like, what are you?" But I really was just trying to like, figure that out. As soon as I did that, as soon as I got passed through that, then something else happened because my hunger was really getting strong. And so what ha- started to happen is I, I started deciding these things in my mind, totally unintentional, that, well, it's going to be okay. You're really hungry. You want to eat this food in front of you. But it's going to be okay because you'll do this or you'll grab hold of that. And my mind just went through about five or six things. Like, um, like I, I thought, like, oh, okay, well, after dinner time, you know, we always have ice cream. So I'll have ice cream in a little bit. It'll be fine. I'm like, no. I'm, you know, I'm fasting. Right? No, I'm not going to have ice cream in a little bit. And I don't always, you know, work a little more and see something I want to eat. And my brain said, no, it's okay because you could just, Pour yourself a drink, or grab a beer, or have a glass of wine with Lisa. Like, no, and I, no, that's not what I'm doing either. That's kind of that's part of fasting too. And then eventually, my mind settled on something very odd because um, I'm not into shopping, and I don't get a lot of excitement out of like clothes or even new clothes. But that day, I had bought like three pairs of shorts that were new for the summer. And my mind thought, this is literally. I saw I was hungry, and I wanted to throw something in my mouth. And my mind said, it's okay. Maybe later, you can try on those shorts and show Lisa, and you know. Do a little fashion show. My mind honestly grabbed hold of that in that moment. That, that oh, that's where I can put my hunger and my energy into that. Like that's gonna satisfy. So I felt like I, I, I honestly I shared this and I share it today because it that truly is a lot of the dialogue of when you when you fast is these kind of things of examining those things that are happening. What's going on? One of the things you realize it's extraordinarily hard to be intentional. In fact, um, I would put it this way, that a lot of what's in our life, you realize when you fast, a lot of what's in our life that we find satisfaction in is automatic and thoughtless, like quickly popping that cheese in my mouth. A lot of how we satisfy all kinds of desires in our lives, automatic, thoughtless practices. And that's what fasting highlighted for me. That Another thing is just how hardwired we are towards false satisfactions, like I'm hungry in my stomach but what I think might work is trying on three pairs of shorts to fill that hunger no that's not that doesn't actually answer the true hunger and that's an that's a perfect metaphor for what we do in our life spiritually um I was trying to talk to my kids about this at bedtime last night like leading up to this and um and we were ta- and I asked them and they they came up with different things about like you know what people try to satisfy themselves with that don't actually really satisfy what you know and i and i and i I brought this up, I brought up well you know some people go to like alcohol, and I know i like I've had a problem to, of doing that in certain times of life, kind of numb out or anesthetize myself against certain worries and things like that. I would say the the the, the perfect uh analogy to draw there is just that you know the phrase "I need a drink," right. It's a perfect way to describe kind of how, you know, I need a drink, and it's like, no, you actually really don't need a drink, but you're going to use that now to deal with something that it doesn't actually truly deal with very well. I need, you know, I need that. And we all have this. I think, I don't know if any of you have been to one of these um, Sacramento Kings basketball games where, I was actually really surprised by this. What, what they do in one of the timeouts is they come out with the hot dog launchers. Have you seen this? Um, The dancers come out and they've got something and the crowd's going wild. Ah, ah, You know, shoot, one my way up, you know, section 219. ah, And everybody's going wild and crazy and they've got these slingshot things and they've got these air guns and some of them down low are throwing them up and throwing them. And what are they doing? But they're throwing lukewarm hot dogs to cheering, you know, people that look like they're going mad for these warm hot dogs. Hot dogs, who knows how many timeouts they had to sit through before they were given permission to, to come out and shoot these things up at us. And I feel like that is, a, that is another perfect metaphor for what we are like in our misdirected satisfactions in our lives. We're going crazy for a warm, possibly food-poisoned hot dog. Actually, I really believe that that's what Jesus is trying to get at when he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And of course, um, because we have ideas of what we need and how we're going to cram something into our hunger to make it work, and we have pretty firm ideas about what that, we think that's going to be, often what this kind of teaching is met with is grumbling. Grumbling. Help me out, say that word, grumbling, grumbling. Even the word, the word kind of sounds, that sort of goes with the, the word's meaning, grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And you know what's really cool about this story is it's a story about bread and Jesus saying he's bread from heaven and he alludes to the story in the Old Testament of the manna, the bread from heaven. And But what key word was there also in that story? Say it with me. Grumbling. Same word. And so Jesus is talking about spiritual hunger and he's met with the same thing, Grumbling. Because, in a way, that's what we do. That's where we go. That's something that's always before us in life. There's a hundred different things. We make them up, in fact, things that you can grumble about that usually relate to what we're thinking we need to settle our hunger. So we grumble. We grumble about life not working out. We grumble about being wronged. We grumble about um, how our kids turn out or how our grandkids turn out. Somebody grumbles about being single. Another person grumbles about still being married. (laughs) Let's just be honest. We grumble. So, you know, you grumble because you're sad. You grumble because you're lonely. You grumble because God isn't holding up his side of the bargain because life is hard for you. We grumble. In summary, we grumble because life is hard and it's not turning out the way we thought it would. We're not getting what we thought we would get In, in the, um, you can see how this plays out in the story of X, the Israelites coming out of Egypt led out into a desert I don't think they expected freedom to involve 40 years walking around in a desert that's what happened and they're right there with us when we feel like you know, God isn't doing a competent job because we're not getting what we expected in life isn't that how we, it works? You know, God is doing a competent job only when we get what we expected out of life. And then, so Jesus and, you know, all the story up to this point is basically telling us, welcome to the life of following Jesus. Life is hard. You're not getting what you want. Now, some of you are really hoping I have something else to say <laughs> I after to say that. And I do, but I, I, I just want you to sit with that because I think I think some of us often get the fall. I don't know where we get it from or if we make it up ourselves or people tell us this, but we often think if we kind of come into the realm of God, if we come into the realm of, of we think we're, we're doing these right things to do what's right or to please God, life's going to tidy itself up and it's going to happen in the way we imagine. So I, I do want to point out the faultiness of that assumption welcome to the life following Jesus in a following world life is hard you're not always getting what you want but listen to this though listen to how Jesus talks about us getting all we ever want or truly want or truly need he says in verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats this bread will live forever this bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world Live forever. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to hit points where, you you know, you're going to obviously hit points where you're not getting what you want. It's not going the way you expected, hoped, or maybe even prayed for. But he's pointing to this sort of eternal life. Live forever. He's saying, "I, I can sustain you all the way to the end. The thing Jesus offers in his connection to you is the thing, the thing that you truly, amidst all the little little desires and little satisfactions in life. Amidst all of those, Jesus is the thing that promises to outlast all solutions, outlast all satisfactions, and get you through to the very end. What more could you ask for? Because isn't that what our worries are? Isn't that why we're chasing after things? We think we're not going to get very far if we don't get this. It's not going to go get, you know. Things are going to dissipate and fall apart if we don't get this or don't get that. It's not going to work. We're not going to get anywhere. Jesus says, I'll get you through all the way to the end. That's the kind of feeding that he's talking about. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, you might not get, you know, that old song. Some of you, you can start the the musical uh, earworm you can have right now of, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Jesus is saying, I have heaping helpings of endless quantities of exactly what you need all the time at the ready. Are you ready to reexamine you know, where you're going for satisfaction in light of this? So in a sense, it's a terrifying teaching because you've got to do business with the things that you're f- falsely anchoring your day-to-day life in. The manna story gets, has the Israelites going out of the desert being led by God, they start grumbling because they're, they're hungry and they're not getting food. Bread from the sky comes down. Jesus sends this new thing, it's a, they call it manna, and it sustains them for 40 years. They can go and pick it up off the ground every day. I just realized I'm getting warm and I don't know if this is on. Yeah, I think it's on. Maybe not. Oh, I think it's on. Yeah, there we go. I heard it. So as the Israelites end up in the desert and this stuff is coming down and out of the sky and it's got this miraculous sense to it and even this, this very strange twist that if they try to gather it on the Sabbath, or no, it, won't, it doesn't come down on the Sabbath and so they can gather extra on the sixth day and it won't go bad. But if they gather extra, like if they're kind of greedy and hoarding, any other day, it's going to spoil. So there's that going on, and it lasts for 40 years. Manna in Hebrew, you know what it means? Maybe someone knows. Manna? It means what is it? <laughs> what is it? That's what that word means. God, so they can imagine what they need. God brings. What is it? They don't, e- they don't even know the options God has to feed them in the desert. You might read the story the first time and say, wow, God really got himself in a corner there and had to do something big. You know, he, you know like he, he took a left at the Red Sea instead of, instead of a right and he ended up in a desert for 40 years. And oh, now he's got to do some miracle to get himself out of it and create the stuff out of the sky. You have to do business with the fact if you're really reading the story and following the story of God that you have to do business with some harsh truths that God leads them into the desert. And it is there that they actually have the experience that there is some unknown way of getting fed that they didn't even know about that they couldn't have asked for or predicted. And in that space, in the desert out of out of where they didn't expect they are actually fed. With whatchamacallit. <laughs> whatchamacallit. What is it? What is it? But it feeds them. They didn't even know what it was. So what are we then? We're we're the gru- we're the people prone to grumbling. That God feeds with unknown, unheard of sustenance, and in the early Christian church, after Jesus had died and r- risen from the dead, there was a new way of talking about what you might call it, and being fed in a way we had never seen or thought of, because Jesus, um, who was revealed as the Son of God, he tells people he came from heaven. That's well, an audacious claim but he he dies and then he rises from the dead. And then the the Christian church is taught by him to understand that his death was a way of entering in to the alienation we all deserve. His way of entering into the desert abandonment that we all deserve so that instead we can get the status of being God's children back. So he takes our place. So this is unheard of. Nobody's ever had something like this before. In fact, all other religions that ever existed put the burden on us to kind of patch things up with God or get ourselves up to a point and Christianity comes along with whatchamacallit. What is it? It's this thing where God comes and visits us and bears the burden to bring us into God's presence. What a gracious, gracious, gracious message for anyone who feels at all broken or fragmented in their life or in the desert. And so they came up with a new word for it. Just like the Israelites had manna, we have the gospel. So if you've ever been confused by someone using the word gospel or realized that people use it in different kinds of gospel music, or is it that thing the guy's holding a sign about at the, at the festival, you know, that, you know? What is the gospel? And, and well, it's kind of, what is it? What you call it? It's the way we get fed through an unheard-of way, our deepest soul hunger. I'm not talking about the growling that you might feel right now. Deepest soul hunger, deepest the reason you reach after this, and it turns out to be kind of like cotton candy. It doesn't satisfy you. You reach out to this, it doesn't quite cut it. You reach out to this, and it's kind of like poison, makes you sick. The deepest desires of our heart are met by whatchamacallit. What is it? Manna, the gospel. Come down from heaven. Malnourished souls, finding a million wrong solutions for a hunger that God satisfies through Jesus. C.S. Lewis has this quote where he says... um, Basically, we're like ignorant children who want to go on making, making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to fill our lives, we're trying to cram things into our spiritual stomach constantly constantly. And in our culture there's all these accepted ways. Every culture is different. Every time is different. There's these accepted ways, right? That we're told this will fill. This will fill. This will work. And so we go through the whole self-esteem thing. We go through the whole validation thing. We go through the self-defined identity thing. And the Christian gospel, the whatchamacallit, comes around and says, okay, self-esteem, there's something there. Except that's going to be, that's going to not quite fill you. Until you realize that in Jesus you have God esteem, you're going to realize how fragile and empty self esteem is. Or uh, validation, you know, the idea that you need to f- get yourself into those sweet spots in life where you can, you can, you know, hit home runs and do things, you know, you can crush it, you know, you can do things well, you can do what you meant to do, and people around you aren't toxic, but they affirm you and they give you validation, and then. And, there's, and, and the gospel says, "Yeah, there's something there, there's something really good there. That's a great kind of hook for the gospel, because the gospel says, you need, you need you need a foreign transplant validation, <laughs> because there's a sense in which we're, we're just too fragmented, and we need the, and we've been given through Christ, the divine fatherly validation. What is it? What, what is Je- spoken over Jesus? The fatherly words, you are my child whom I love and you I am well pleased. And in Jesus that voice becomes ours as he takes our place and we're welcomed in to be God's children. Okay, validation, yeah. But, it, but the gospel takes it and says this is the kind that truly settles you for good and settles your hunger. Self-defined identity, well yeah, you're going to make a lot of inroads into understanding yourself and yet, You're always gonna be kind of in doubt and unsure of the foundation you're building of your identity as long as it's built on anything in this fragile, broken world. And so if you pin your hopes on a part of your identity and say, this is me, or these three things here are me, and you can say, okay, there's probably some really good insights there, and yet you're looking at a world that's flawed. And so you're seeing things flawed things out there are flawed. It adds up to us getting our identity wrong and then in the Bible talks about your identity in Christ. That There's this sort of you put on Christ like putting on clothes and it becomes your new identity. I don't know if any of those resonate. Getting fed, getting fed through the whatchamacallit, through the gospel, through what Jesus has done on the cross. Are you aware though of your whether you get some of those things or not? Are you aware of the supply lines? Are you aware of how the supplies get into your how the food gets into your life the spiritual food they're not it's not a big mystery if you follow through on scripture and you find them quite easily taking for example psalm a little bit of psalm 63 where it says i have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory talking about god satisfying our hungers and thirst and where do we go we go to worship we go to those places where God's people gather and look to him and we go to the elements in worship such as the word, scripture and the sacraments, the Lord's table and God's community of people who have been intrigued and grabbed by whatchamacallit and are starting to figure out what that looks like. I have seen you in your sanctuary. Another thing that's in Psalm 63 is on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Meditation. The idea that there's a regular checking in to the bigger truths that you're connecting with and getting fed with. And then this message that kind of brings it all home from Deuteronomy 8, when the Israelites were done with manna and done with what is it, but they were getting this sort of pep talk from God through Moses on their way into the promised land. And he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you would know, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with, what is it? Which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that, now this is the punchline, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word. It's one of the main supply lines. Worship. Um... Meditation, God's Word. Um, this year as we began our dive group, which is the discipleship group, we now start with, um, and I didn't do this the first couple of years, we start our meeting, monthly meeting checking in and saying, um, what is God saying to you? What's happening in these habits of devotion, in these places where you're going to the bread of life? It's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. It's a, I'm never going to take that out of the meetings as we move forward because it's that time to say we don't know. We can't always predict how whatchamacallit is going to come in, how the gospel is going to invade. But if we're going to our supply lines, if we're going to those places where God feeds us, we can expect for some stories to come out. We can expect for God's voice to be heard. Are your supply lines open? Have you grasped their life and de- death importance? Let's pray. Our God of grace, uh, some of us, um, as we sit here, there's maybe a red flag in our life, and we might not like that it's there. There might be some persistent sin, some flare-up of anger, there might be jealousy, there might be gossip, there might be dishonesty. The truth is, we're hungry. And these red flags just point to a spiritual hunger. We're not settled, we're agitated. Or like this new invented word, we get hangry. So would you please, in the mystery of your, of your incredible all-knowing power, invade all of our false practices and our wayward desires. Fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.